you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski. Today's guest on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski is Shira Piven. Shira is a writer, director, actor, teacher, creator, and an innovator. She's directed the motion picture Welcome to Me with Kristen Wiig and episodes of Amazon's Transparent and One Mississippi. She currently works with Tim Robbins' Actors Gang Prison Project, teaching Comedia dell'arte to inmates in California prisons. Shira's the daughter of improv pioneers Joyce and Byrne Piven and is the sister of actor Jeremy Piven. You hear Shira mention her husband, Oscar award-winning director and Second City alum, Adam McKay. We discuss passion, what a director's job is, collaboration, the untapped superpower of creativity, and growing up in Byrne Piven's house of digression. This discussion flies all over the place. Of course it does. It's ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski. So I was like 23 and I was, no, I was probably younger. I was probably, I was really young. I don't know. Maybe I was 20. And my dad had, um, my dad uh, was a actor and voiceover, uh, you know, voiceover guy, um, Kind artist, of artist, voiceover voice over artist. artist. <laughs> he, he made his living largely. You know, he put through. Uh, he put me through college really doing voiceovers in Chicago. I remember. And, and occasionally, <laughs> you remember. I remember. Yeah. He had this voice, and he had yeah, that was his voice. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. so funny. That sounds like Dell, which is what my my husband Adam <laughs> does. Dell Close. It always he does. My father. It always sounds like Dell Close. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny because um, my, this is my Dell. My Dell is like that. That's what yes. I do. Dell. I yes. Do Del. Those of us like of those of us. That was a Del good one. That, that was, was that was really good. You could either I think you do Dell and you could do uh, used to do Harry Carey if you could do both. Oh those yeah. Things. Okay. So anyway, my dad was at a recording session, um, and he came home and he's like, "I had this recording session with, with this with this really nice young guy, and you know what? He's Herschel Bernardi's son." And I feel like you are like one of three people who would remember who Herschel sure, Bernardi. Sure, sure. I think he his show was called Arnie. Arnie. Oh and my he God. also had he also had a. Uh, I mean, he had a substantial voiceover career yeah, yeah. too. I'm sure. He yeah, did. yeah. And he had this show, and his son evidently was like the recording engineer at my dad's um, at my dad's recording session. And then, so I was chatting with my dad. I think I was living in between college years. I was living at home, probably at the time or maybe it was like winter break and my dad came home and he was like I met this guy and you know I told him about you and he said like I'd really like to meet your daughter and I was like you know my dad's fixing me up on a date I was like uh, okay Uh, yeah and I was just you know my tendency is to try to be say yes to things try to be open-minded so I said you know the way that my dad phrased it you know he it sounded like you know, what if this guy's a nice guy? All right. So I said, okay, sure. And he, he had told me about the recording session, how they hit it off and blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, sure, okay. He can call me if he wants to call me. All right. And so I went out with this guy. and Herschel Bernardi's son. Yeah. And all I kind of remember about it is that he kind of, he kind of had hips. <laughs> he had hips? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was how, that was how I, I kind of like, remembered the story like this is somehow a guy with hips okay <laughs> nice guy kind of cute but he seemed to have hips he was hippie and mm-hmm. and and um 
so we're you know we're having this evening and it you know it's the, there's not really a lot of chemistry it's going okay and he's like at one point he's just like ha ha your dad your dad's so funny and he's he's like yeah so we're you know your dad's such a great guy we're having such a good time we just had the best time at the recording session and he said and then you know your dad's just like well i have you know i i, I don't even attempt to do my dad <laughs> he's like well i have this daughter and right away like i went white and i was like holy shit my dad kind of imposed me on this guy and the way, the way that that my dad phrased it was he was telling the guy about me and the guy said i would love to meet your of course my dad told the story like how naive did i have to be so of course my dad told me the story that way it didn't occur to me that somehow my dad had pushed me on this poor guy oh. and i just the probably most humiliating part of it thinking back was just that the way I handled it was I completely shut down and I got really quietly really angry I wasn't I got quietly really embarrassed so embarrassed and so angry at my dad that I just shut down and yeah you're right I was it was just like this kind of mortification and I felt so it it I felt such a lack of like dignity of any kind like I was some poor pathetic child that that her father had to like go fix her up with this nice oh. guy that he met that I just that my way of regaining my dignity was to kind of just like get very aloof and very quiet and I was like the whole rest of the I don't even I don't even remember saying goodbye to this guy oh my god <laughs> and I'll, I don't like I wish I could remember the scene with my dad after that but boy was I Oh, how old were I you? I was so pissed. I was like... <clears throat> well, if you're in between time. I think I was like 22 <clears throat> mm -hmm. at the most. I was at the most 22. Oh, my God. It's, uh, the sad thing about... I mean, there's so many sad <laughs> things about that. But one of the sad things about that is to be at that age, and it's just... You're, you're really trying to strike it on your own to yeah. be who it is that you are. Yeah. And to make the discoveries by yourself. And, to, and there's another thing, and you're a parent, too, to know... Oh, my God. <clears throat> what's that? I said, oh, my God. Thinking yeah. about how embarrassed my younger kid gets... If I just do, if I just breathe the wrong way, she's like, Mom, that's so embarrassing. I know, right? And yeah. how old's the younger, the younger one is? She's 12. She's 12. Yeah. And there's that age where you're 12 years old and 12, 13, 14. I remember being 13 and 14 and thinking, can we just end this thing? It's just, can we just stop it right now? You know, to go, I don't know how I'm going to, uh, how, do I, how do I live with myself? It's just so awkward. It's such an awkward time. When did you, I'm just going to jump right into it. When did you discover... When did you discover that what you're, you have a very interesting, you have an interesting life. And the interesting life is this, you've called your own shots, it seems. A lot of the things that I've seen that you've done, a lot of the, the, the research that I've done says that you cover a bunch of different bases and you know your voice. When did you realize that you knew your voice? When did you, here's a, here's a, a different way of saying it. When did you stop worrying about where it was that you were going and just accepted of where it was that you were? Um, I don't think I ever stopped worrying about where I feel like I'm constantly worried about where I'm going. But I also am sort of devoted to finding it, finding my path in 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 what may be an un, uncharted territory mm -hmm. and un, untrodden 
untrodden path. What's the word? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of creating my own way. Right. I, I remember feeling that in Chicago that it felt like, you know, because my parents were in the same... I, I, I was a theater artist for a long time. Like, that's sort of a catch-all phrase. I started out really falling in love with acting at about age 14. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> From about age 14 to age 30, I was just like, I was in love with the, with not the idea of, I just loved acting. Mm-hmm. And I was a very unlikely actor because I was very shy, mm-hmm. very, very shy. But I really loved to act and I loved the craft of acting and I loved the idea that you could, as your in your person, embody this art form. And... Um, and then, but I always also had a foot in directing a little, I was, I loved to write, but I wasn't really disciplined. I found, found out only like in the last five years that I, I had, have, and had probably some pretty severe ADHD. So I really loved to write and I always wrote in a journal and wrote poetry, but I didn't really have the dis and wanted to write short stories and kind of wrote a lot of unfinished things, but, um, always end up ended up in collaboration with people because that's where I sort of got the most energy. Um, So whereas I thought of myself as an introvert, I was probably closer to an extrovert or 50-50 because I got a lot of energy from working with other people. So I love the theater. And I I always directed, starting at age 17, I think I directed my first kind of like piece created through improvisation based on a bunch of creation myths called I think the creation of the world and other stories and actually um, John Cusack and he was in he was like a senior in high school and I was directing my parents theater they had he they had something called the young people's company which started when I was a kid and I was a few years older and I ended up like I was in early college and I ended up coming back and directing Where did you go to college? this piece. I went to Bennington College <clears throat> in Vermont. It's okay. a it's a ultra tiny liberal arts college mm-hmm. and um um and used to be all women, so the ratio of women to men was pretty extreme, so which is probably why my dad was looking for dates for me. <laughs> I don't think I actually had like <laughs> formally dated one person at my though I dated during college, I didn't really date anyone from my college, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, anyway, so when, but when it comes to sort of the date, I'm gonna go off so, just a little tangent here. When okay. it comes to the dating thing, like I don't, I don't know how people do it. I just didn't know how people do it, like dated, connected back then. Oh, I it, don't either. I have yeah, no idea. No idea. No idea. No idea. And there were people that were extroverts who were able to go. Oh, this is how this is how this works. I'm mm-hmm. going. How do you do it? And I had people in when I I was uh, in doing theater. I I would get friends and go, yeah, you have to teach me how to flirt. I don't know how to flirt. And so they taught me how to, but anyway. I so, didn't even know I didn't know how. Right. I was just like, I was like, you know, everything's going to happen organically. I don't know. Like it was kind of naive, but. It really is naive. Yeah. But the thing is, again, that's your particular journey. That's yeah. the journey that you are on. You're yeah. on that journey. So you're at anyway, Bennington and you're, yeah. yeah. Okay. Just so I started directing at a really young age on it. Like I directed that show I directed something at like age 17. I directed a little bit during college at my parents' theater. I directed at, for as part of my senior project at college. I composed, mu- I was a partial music major. So I directed this adaptation of 
a um, Sholem Aleichem short story called The Pair, which was kind of a metaphor for the Holocaust about two chickens who are who are waiting to be waiting to go to slaughter. And it actually was written before the Holocaust, but it seems like a perfect metaphor for the Holocaust. Anyway, it's this beautiful piece. So I directed that and wrote music for it in senior year of college. And, and you know, my parents' work, workshop was great because I could go back and kind of exercise whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's, I, it's I could great, work out. Right, and to have that foundation that allows you to uh, work out, to have the foundation that... Because you you didn't mention where you learned to direct, and it seems to me, for me, my direction was just watching people direct. That's how I learned how to direct, yeah. was watching... I have a degree in photojournalism, so it's like, oh, cool, you know, yeah. I don't... I don't but I've been doing theater since I was eight, so, yeah. you know, it's yeah, you just too, watch yeah. people... You, you watch people do it. Yeah. You watch people do it, and you see what it is that you like. And you you were also afforded because foundationally you were encouraged. Uh-huh. Foundationally, you were so encouraged to do that. And I have to tell you, um, I had one workshop with your mom uh, when I was uh, the artistic director of Second City here, and I went to Chicago, and she taught a workshop, and it, she was a force. I mean, she, as a teacher and a director, and the way that she worked with people was really phenomenal. I mean, she did not pull any punches, mm. and she forced you, she forced me, and in a lovely way, she forced me to address my truth and to speak my truth, and to say what it is, and to not bullshit. And at that moment, I looked at her and I went, that that's the kind of teaching that I like, that's the I kind like. of connection that I like, that's the kind of acting that I like, and she would call somebody on it right away. So she was working with a bunch of improv, of teachers at that time it was a it was a an in-service thing that they had at Second City and there were all these improv teachers and those were the students and your mom was up there just just it was it was amazing it was amazing and to have that as your mom to guide you and pull you and Mm. teach you and model for you Mm. how to connect to people how to connect to your own artistic needs and desires and and dreams and goals and all that stuff and to to give it voice Mm. it's it was really it was really i still i think about that i think about that workshop very often when i'm teaching yeah she's that's it's so cool because i will run into people like we don't know each other but i will run into people like you who have had careers in in you know i mean we circle around you know we have people in the same circles and overlapping people lots of people that we know but i'll run into people with these you know illustrious careers or people who have studied with my parents that i don't know they've studied i actually talked to a producer about this broadway revival he's trying to do um and and this anyway it turns out he he not only studied with my parents as a kid but he said it was his second home and i run into so like the workshop's been around for <clears throat> for 45 years now i think and and i it's amazing to me that how many people that it's reached and my mom at one point was like really really obsessed with the idea of um of continuing the theater, of conti- of having the theater get a better space and continuing the theater. And blah, you were and in I, Evanston, right? Yeah, in mm. Evanston. <clears throat> their theater, Pivot Theater Workshop, is in Evanston. Mm. It's still there. But she was obsessed with the idea of like growing and continuing. And only in the last year and a half has she let go of that idea. And my, my thing to her was always like, I don't know that you need the actual theater to have 
a kind of a legacy. I don't know that you need the actual space and the continuation of, though the theater does beautiful work and I support and want it to continue and they serve all kinds of underprivileged kids as well as like autistic, uh, they have a group for autistic uh, kids and a prison project now. They have lots of cool stuff and serve the community in so many ways and have this great creative center. But I, you know, as far as, you know, what she does, I, I've always said to her, like, you're, you know, what you've done is is already growing in the world exponentially. Right. Anyway, going back to your question earlier, I started, I was acting until I was 30, but I was always like, had a, had a little foot in directing mm -hmm. and always had an eye that I always knew in the back of my mind, I will direct. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how that would manifest. And then around, and then I had a switch. I had like a sea change. And I started, it was about a two year period where I began to fall in love with directing and let go of acting. Uh -huh. And now I'm so happy not to be a performer. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is that moment. <laughs> and, and, and I think that if you thought about it earlier before you had that epiphany, or if you th th thought about it earlier, it would make you sad, you know, to go, I don't know that I'll ever give up acting. How can I give up acting? And what you don't realize is that that isn't a failure. No. It's just a journey. It's a part. I, it's a yeah. I think of it as a phase, but it, it is a journey. You're it's right. a journey. It's a journey, and and for you to go because you I've mentioned this before, but you weren't airdropped into your life. You know, you weren't airdropped into the place where you you are artistically right now. What you did was you went through all of these different experiences, and these different experiences were were um, inspired. You engage them because you were inspired by them at that moment. Not it wasn't about the product; it was about the the process. It wasn't about yes. the the project. Yeah. It was about what you needed at that moment. And when you talk about all these little things that are that you not little things, but all these things that you did, they 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 were the they were the wind behind you to t to take you to where it was that you were going, to take you to where it is that you are. Yes. And yes, and when I get in, yeah, I, it's good to, for me also to to keep kind of grounded in my history in a way because it it helps me psychologically because um, you know, I'm newer to film. I'm I'm even newer to directing television, right. and television has certainly gone through a change so that it's like there are it's so that they're actually like hungry for artists in the in the world of television which was you know really a rarity in the past and anyway we know yeah so television no, has no, shifted a, but for me i you know i i, I love that you i love that you brought that up particularly the the episode of transparent that you did and working with jill yeah. on that uh jill Soloway on that um who was a friend and to to go it it's and this is one of the things that I really want to talk about was it's a different time now. And for you to say television, it's not really television anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's it's sort of like saying, yeah. I, like we need a different na name for this thing that we call our phones because it's not really a phone. It's exactly. it's a different thing. That's a good. That's a yeah. You're right. You're yeah. totally right. And when yeah. we call it television, aren't we also sort of in a way? Um, narrowing it down you know what I mean we're, 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 we're um, it's kind of a shorthand it is a shorthand yeah. but in that shorthand there's also because words are important and in that shorthand what also ends up happening in that shorthand is we're cutting ourselves off from what it could be because we're calling it that yeah 
and and I look back at what Jill's doing, and she is, she's shattering so much, just in terms of gender and you know, just gender and and looking at art and 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 encouraging people, I, like yeah, it's she a, is, she's amazing. She, <clears throat> yeah, what she's done with transparent and things that things that you can feel tangibly if you're a viewer of the show and things that you have no idea about that she's also doing with the culture of how she runs a set and how she um how she brings kind of a a, thea a theater collaboration into the process uh, i mean i was i directed that show and i I had a morning where I just played a theater game with the entire cast and crew, which would have been unheard. Like she created the environment that made that possible. And not only possible, like everyone was so like, this is, this is awesome. Like no one felt that that was weird at all. So I felt right at home in that space. And um, That's yeah, huge. definitely shattering. She definitely shatters so many things. And I think that show is an important, um, I think it's going to hold up over time. I think it's a really important cultural marker. I think that we don't realize, I wish, my wish for that show is that it gets a bigger and bigger audience and that people are, people are re-watching the entire season for be you know, the entire like group of seasons from beginning to end. And, and it's interesting to watch it to re-watch it knowing yeah. where it is and to see how she guided those characters and storylines yeah. in order to reach that point. Yeah. But the culture of yeah. the set, mm -hmm. because she also amassed a bunch of people who were like you, open to those ideas yeah. and ready for them and going, where, where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? Yeah. And to look at the people that are on that show, <clears throat> That I know friends of mine that were on mm -hmm. that were on that show. Uh, certainly, Brett Paisel and oh, uh, yeah. I love her and um, and Alex uh, Alexandra Billings, who's yeah. just an amazing force, an yeah. amazing, an amazing, amazing force. And when you meet people like that, because I've worked with uh, I've worked with, with um, uh, I worked with Alex at Steppenwolf, teaching at Steppenwolf. And when you work with people like that, you just realize there are no boundaries. The only boundaries that we really have, and certainly with Alex, the only boundaries that we really have are the ones that we self-impose. And to look at it and go, oh, Jill's doing something different, but Jill's doing it her way because that's the way that she wants to do it. And that's the universe that she wants to yeah. create. And again, you know, yeah. if you want to you know, say... And she's kind of fearless. Like she has, she kind of, yeah, she's a bit of a mad genius. You know, which is there are a few people out there like that. I think of my husband like that. Yes, like they don't, you know, in different ways. They're they're breaking ground because they have to do it. Right, and it's ex it's exciting. Yeah, I love the idea of they're breaking ground because they have to do it. Yeah, and when we're when you know it's the idea <laughs> nobody puts baby in a corner. When when I find myself doing something and saying, wait a minute, I, how did I get myself into this? I got myself into this because I let go of that which which inspired me, and I started I started living in somebody else's story. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting juggling act. Like I've been working on three different since I've done since I did I did two features, and since I've done the second one with Welcome to Me with Kristen Wiig, um, you'd think, well, 
um, you know, it did well critically, and I was really creatively really proud of the show. Um, and you would think like, oh, you know, she'll get it. You know, people are looking for women directors. She'll have or whatever. They're, you know, uh, she worked, you know, Kristen Wiig. She'll, she'll be directing another movie in no time. And I've worked really steadily since then. But getting a movie made has become even harder than it was, which is already which was already hard. So anyway, I've been. So my point is that I've been working on three projects that I've, I'm I'm obsessed with and that I'm driven to do. But they're not necessarily the most commercially viable projects. So it's kind of like, you know, and I sit down with my agent and she has this tone in her voice like, um, well, you know, this is such a good story. And it's just this particular tone in her voice that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, she doesn't think she doesn't think this can get made. And my husband has the weird, amazing gift of being both commercially minded and and an artist through and through. And though he would never himself even use that word, um, which word? he's artist. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm more comfortable with it than he is because I just grew up with it. Right. And and anyway, he he's a creative force, but he also has a business head. Right. And he'll just sort of like walk by a room and just be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And I th- I think you're gonna have a hard time making that one. Or he'll walk by the room and just be like. This one I think you can get made. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working really hard on one that he actually ha- you know, thinks that we can get made right now, which is good. And another one that he's sort of agnostic about right now, mm-hmm. but is an adaptation of a George Saunders short story. Mm-hmm. But, like George I ha- but I have to be passionate about what, what I'm doing. you got to. And I feel like that's how I... Otherwise, I'm a little bit... At, I'm, a, I'm a little bit at sea. Are you, are, do you find yourself at sea often? Um... You know, I'm sort of comfortable, like creatively, I'm sort of comfortable being at sea. And I, I, like in life, I'm not sure I like it, but creatively, I like I like being there. And it's very, it's been a very bizarre match of me working in television because, I mean, I remember one show I did and I, I kind of walked in less prepared now I know than I should have been. But because I'm comfortable creating in the moment, and creating with the players at hand, I don't always go in completely prepared. And in a television, you know, I was working at that oh, I'm point. I'm sorry, I, 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 you don't always go in completely prepared in in the uh, in, in, a, in the standard definition of being prepared. Yes, you're in the prepared traditional in, in tradi- sense. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Traditional, yes. because you are prepared the way that you're prepared. Yes, and it's not that you're not prepared. Yes, it's I not like that you're that. coming in. Yes. With, but it, it, we get to yeah. give ourselves permission to say. Yes. This is the way that I do it. Yeah. And it, and and you look at it in a different way. And you hired me knowing full well who it is that I am and how it is that I work. So, you know, again, my coming in, and again, I don't, I mean, my intention was not to throw you off from where it was that you're going, but those sort of things pop into my head where I go, yeah. I get to be who it is that I am. And when you hire me to do what it is, you know, you didn't pick my name out of a hat. Right. You know that David Rosowski does this sort of thing, whatever it's going right. to be. And and if you're a, if you're a student of mine or an actor that I'm working at, and you want to give me pushback, which I get very often because the work that I do is 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 subversive in a way. If you want to give me pushback, you mm-hmm. give me pushback, but realize that you you have to know who I am, and I am not here to mollycoddle you, and I'm not here to make it okay. I am here to shake it the fuck up. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think. 
That's good. That's yeah. I think I tend to go in and try to be all things to all people, and I can get in trouble with that because. But at the same time, working as yeah, I hate to to go down this road. But and there was really only one show that I felt it on, but I had, and I was probably paranoid, but I had the feeling that. Um, I'll just say two people on the crew were kind of laughing at me at one point <laughs> because the DP was super traditional mm-hmm. and I hadn't worked with a DP that was like this uh-huh. like he was just by the book and so I was and he was good guy like uh-huh. but I had a feeling that he was like had never encountered a director who had come from the theater and worked with actors kind of the way that I did and was not super savvy at that time. You about, weren't super I savvy. I were not super savvy, was not super savvy about, about, um, just the most practical way to do a camera setup. And mm-hmm. not, you know, because I, I am very visual and I love the, I love the visual aspect of making things for the screen. I love the, I love being able to play with, distance the distance you are at from a face Mm -hmm. or the dis or what you choose to capture on screen the special relationship yeah that sort of thing yeah that you're that if you you know if you film the same scene in an ultra close-up or a wide you're going to get complete two completely i mean to be simplistic those two extremes you'll get two completely different emotional takes on the scene so i love playing with that i also love playing with visuals in the editing process i love playing with sound like i love i i didn't know coming from theater i was terrified initially this is sort of a transcript like it's okay whatever it's called it where are we going we're, we're getting diverge, divergence <laughs> uh, a, ch- a trans transition tra- <laughs> not, not, not even a transition uh there's somebody shouting at us right now i would imagine uh laura shouting at us going the word is this so anyway it's kind of <laughs> i'm totally for- uh, digression. Yay! That's the word. <laughs> I remember a cousin of ours at one point, like my dad go, went off on a million tangents when he would speak, and he would he just invented this idea that we called Burn Piven's House of Digression. <laughs> Burn Piven's House of Digression. Yes, uh, which no, I do. So the digression I was talking about is that when I first, very first, started to transition from doing stage to screen I was completely terrified I felt unequipped for the logistics what I imagined in my head were the logistics of filmmaking because I it was like I knew this weird craft this odd like shoe shoemaking craft which was the theater which is this strange like at any minute it feels like it's going to become totally obsolete and I knew this one craft inside and out I lived it from the time I was young I watched my parents from age two on the stage blah 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 getting traveled around my dad doing stock theater and like starting day classes at age eight etc so it was something I just knew from every you know just knew in my bones and then I had to I was really scared of making something for the screen and so I was like I have to make when I made my first feature it was this obsession of I have to make this movie and I I made every possible mistake in the universe but I also and what I didn't and what I I knew I wanted was to make this thing to make it and like I'm making a film I can see it I want to 
I know I want things to be a certain way and beautiful in this way and I want to make this film, but I didn't know, I didn't think I would like the process as much as I did. Uh-huh. And then I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with every, except for producing, every aspect of it. Yeah. Though producing is a big part. I, I fell in love with every creative part of making a movie. Did did your vision of what it was going to be, how, how did that match up with what it was? I, you know, that's a question that's like goes back to your very, very first thing about being in the, I'm not sure exactly how you said it, but being in the moment as opposed to being thinking, not thinking about where you're going, but thinking about where Got you it. are. Got it. Because for me, that's another thing that unnerves TV people is like, and I've learned, I think it's really good for me and my personality to be prepared the way they expect and reassure everyone. And it also help, it helps them and it ha- helps me. Right. So... But my usual, like people would always talk about what's your quote unquote vision. And with films, I've gotten much better at explaining it and seeing it. But my really, my belief from the theater, my theater years is that it kind of doesn't matter entirely what my vision is, that you're creating, the joy of it is this, that you create something that you almost could never have imagined. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is really exciting. Mm-hmm. That you imagine it to some extent, but the process of creating something that you never imagined, because it's not you alone, that you're, you're you have a, a, a director of photography, you have actors, you have a, you have a scenic designer, you, uh, you know, production designer, you have, and he has art directors who may have slightly different vision. You have a sound designer. That I feel like my job is to is to allow these people to be at the height of their own creativity, and that if I tell them some some sc- perfect script of what to do, then they're not going to give me their best work. No. And no. what I've learned, what I've also learned is that I also I also. Um, but that's a balancing act. Like I, like when I first started working with editors, I worked with. I had sort of a weird gift. Now I realize of working with, I think five different editors on my first super DIY film, and. You and, went through five editors. Yeah, and it wasn't because like I was. It wasn't because like they quit and they were just like I'm done. It was just a series of kind of like, either they had another project. They were insane. They were <laughs> they were temporary mm-hmm. to begin with, and then um, or they were young and had other things going on, and then had to move on. Um, um, anyway, I went through about five editors on that film, and finally found a wonderful editor who now just did her own documentary on Hal Ashby that just went to Sundance, oh and I'm so excited. Amy Cargill, uh-huh. Amy Scott. Now, anyway, um, she's since then gotten married and had two has two little girls, mm-hmm. and made this beautiful documentary about Hal Ashby. Anyway, mm-hmm. she kind of rescued me did, from so, editor purgatory. <laughs> so you had four, you had four editors prior to her. Yeah. editing it so did she do her own cut yeah well or did she use any of the other edits did she build upon what we, it was we built on everything we, I see. we kind of built on everything that came before mm-hmm. you know but I mean her cut was kind of a building on another uh, a, an editor I had right before her who was creative 
But I think I started out saying this because when I first worked with editors, I would give them too much creative freedom. Mm -hmm. And then I started realizing, like, at a certain point, like, the editor before her was really <clears throat> talented, but he also just had kind of his own idea about the movie. And right. I had to go in, like, and at one point he was like, I have... I, I have to do this other project. I can give you two more days. And then that, and it forced me to come in and be like, here's my shot. Li here's my list. Here's like my breakdown. This is how I want you to edit this. Got I'm it. Done, we're done playing around. Right. This is what I need you to do so that I can have something tangible to take to the next editor. Right. It's very interesting because those, those are the greatest lessons right there. The lesson of yeah. what you know you don't want leads you to what it is that you do want. Totally. And we walk through that, we walk through that, 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 we walk through that fog until we go, this is a fog. Why am I in this fog? And then you realize, oh, you know what? This isn't what I want. Uh, this is what I don't want. And then when we do decide what it is that we want, I will not, I will not go back. I won't go back. Um, I'm going to tell you what I want. Because again, I'm hiring you or you hired me. It's one of those two things. And either way, um, there's something else that you said that was really interesting. You said that there was, when you were first getting into it, it just seemed daunting and, and you, not your word. And what, as you're saying that, what I was realizing was you were thinking, this is what I would do. I would think, oh my God, I'm responsible for this, 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 and this. And you realize, no, you're not responsible for those things. Those things are taken care of by somebody else. My husband says it all the time. When I get anxious about a new, new directing job, he says that exact thing. He's like, he's like, don't forget, directing is easier than we usually make it out to be. There's a lot of people who have to do their job, and your job is not to do their job or to completely like stress out over their job either. Your job is not to do their job. Yeah. Your job is not to do their job. That's so great because it's so <laughs> freeing to go, yeah. my job is not to do their job. My job is, right. and it goes back to this. What other people think of me is none of my business. This is who it is that I am. My job is to be me, particularly in what it is that we're doing because you, yes, you are working for a corporation, but within that corporation, they are giving you this, this palette and this canvas and saying, these are some of the colors that we like and we'd like for you to, to work with these colors. And you go, I could do that. I could do that. And I love watching a director, you know, watch, I love watching a director direct. I love when she makes choices that, that I go, oh good, she's doing that, so I don't have to do that. Mm. I'm gonna sit back and let, and just you know, read my sides. Mm. You know, and to do that. I get so involved and I don't need to, I just don't need to at all. As an actor? As, <laughs> as an actor, you know, going, driving over to the gig, or I, I mean, for me, it's, it's <laughs> uh, I, I, I teach, the way that I teach, so I travel around the world teaching improv and performing, and that's what I get paid to do. That's my gig, and there's not a lot of people are doing it. I'm doing it. Susan Messing is doing it. We're doing it. And so you will hire me to come in, and I will watch you, and I will stop you at every fucking minute and go, I didn't believe what you just said. I don't believe you. And what I find myself doing is getting involved in everything that they're doing because that's what I get paid to do. I get paid to watch you and to do that. But I'm not going to, what I realize is I don't want to work for any other corporation anymore. I don't want to work for Second City. I did that. I don't want to teach anybody yeah. else's anything yeah. because I don't know that I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I want to yeah. because I don't believe a lot of what it is that they're saying. I would find that hard. Like I always taught my own thing, even when I taught. I, 
UCB, I remember the conversation I had. Like, I literally don't, I, I confess this. I'm not proud of it, but I don't really know how they work at UCB. Um, and when I first talked to who was then Seth Morris, who was then the artistic director at UCB, I said, you know, I have this class that I really want to teach. And I'm just going to, I was coaching him at the time uh, to do, He was he's really an improviser and, and uh, really f- does his own material, really funny guy. And he wanted to kind of work on his dramatic acting chops, I guess. And he asked me to coach him and that's how I knew him. And I, I came to him and also, yeah, that's, a, anyway, we, we had another, th- another thing that, um, my first feature actually was a two person play that started out at UCB that he was kind of overseeing at the time. And I think everyone at UCB thought it was really weird and not their thing, but it was at UCB anyway. So I remember calling him and saying, you know, I have this class I want to teach. That's really, I don't, know if it makes sense to teach it at UCB or if you guys only do your own thing uh, but you know we can go find a space and do it but I'm just sort of saying if you want to I could if you if you want to have this partnership we could teach this class at UCB and he was like no I don't think so I think UCB really just does the UCB thing and I was like okay cool hung up then he called me later he was like you know what we don't have any classes for people to go to once they sort of graduated the levels this would be a cool class and so I I have this. I have a, a partner that I teach this particular class with, and we just called it improvisation for film and TV. And I first started teaching it about ten years ago because I just wanted to learn. I just kind of wanted to figure out how to do how to teach it. That's very interesting because the process is the product. Yeah, and that yeah, and we've been teaching it on and off ever since, and it's a really weird and fun class. Has it grown? Um, has 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 it grown from the initial concept of what it is? It's kind of morphed. I don't. Um, I hope it's grown. I think it's kind of like gone in different, slightly different directions. Mm-hmm. But it's it has. I say weird because it's kind of rooted. It's rooted somewhat in commedia dell'arte, which is an insane way to teach someone to act for film. But what we do is we really get people to kind of go to that white hot place of what the four emotional states are: anger, fear, happiness, and sadness. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who does method acting, it sounds crazy and so dangerous. But it's really cool because it it we show a lot of film clips of um, where actors are really at like a 10 of whatever their emotional state is mm-hmm. and it's really fun for it's very freeing for actors and of course it's not like we're not like you should be this giant and big emotionally on screen but it helps people get in touch with kind of their their really their sort of honest their honest selves but in a really truly um, invested way. I think of it as like, I took a class with Uta Hagen when I was 23 and living in New York and she kind of was obsessed with the idea of what is that, what are your emotional stakes? So this class- Stakes. Yeah. Yeah. So this class is really all about what, to me I often break it down in a non-comedia way and say this is all really about what are the highest emotional stakes Mm -hmm. and find and not settling for anything less than what the highest emotional stakes of this moment, this scene, whether it's improvised or scripted, and we do we use improv, right? 
pretty much exclusively, but what are the highest emotional stakes of this scene? And it doesn't mean that you have to shout. It means that you have to go deeper into totally. the emotional stake that you're in right now. And there. it doesn't mean it's not funny. Like there's no. like and I think that great a lot of people, comedy that can come out of that too. I totally understand that because a lot of the work that I do has has to do with that first initial what is your point of view and your emotional what is your emotional content at that moment? Mm-hmm. To recognize what your emotional content is mm-hmm. at that moment and to hold on to it because the, the ego wants to take you into different directions and the idea of to go to the that white hot place is very hard for people to do, but I'm not gonna let mm-hmm. you fucking go i'm not gonna let you go off a tangent that place at that moment and and people go i will have actors stop me and go where's the humor and i go first off i never told you that i was teaching you how to be funny that's one two it's gonna be funny because you're gonna be honest truthful and you're gonna be honest and truthful in that moment i go, go ahead yeah, my favorite example is this one clip we always show from Best in Show, mm-hmm. where Parker Posey and um, is her character, and uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember anyone's name, in that, but it's a woman and her husband, and I feel like they both have braces. They're adults with braces, <laughs> right. and for some reason, that's funny right away, and they have this dog who's like, I can't remember, like a lab, it's like not a lab, it's like a, it's, it's like a, I don't know. Anyway, uh, they have this dog and the dog is missing its favorite toy and has to go like do the show. And her, she's so angry that you feel like she's going to kill someone about the bumblebee toy. And it's the effing funniest scene in the world. But she, it's funny because she does not, she does not hold back her. She's so yeah, Parker yeah. Posey is so angry yes. about like that the the dog. She's panicked. She's angry because she's panicked, and she's panicked because the toy dog doesn't have its toy. And then she goes to the pet store, and she like she gets in a huge fight, or she she yells. She doesn't fight with. She yells at the poor guy who's like who's the pet store clerk because he's trying to offer her things that are not a bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a hilarious scene. But it's only funny because she's totally stated. She's totally panicked and angry. Right. Yeah. Right. And 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 those are the those are the things that I love I love watching those moments. I love yeah. I love watching an actor and Parker Posey's great. I love watching an actor she's so good. take that it, I remember taking an improv class and, and the and somebody came up with the somebody first mentioned heightening, the, the idea of heightening. And I thought, heightening? And when you give a note to somebody to heighten it, it always tends to be more of a plot-driven thing. Like the actor will take that, an improviser will take that and make it more plotty, you know, and heightening. And I, the other day I was teaching and I was saying, it's not heightening, it's actually the opposite. It's going deeper into the ground. It's, it's, it's mm. you digging deeper into that particular point of view that you have, or oh, emotional cool. state. Because you're going, like you're, you're not going out here, you're going, hmm. Yeah. I am. I am here, and I am. I am. I am rooting myself in that yeah. moment. And to watch somebody do that is because I don't. I don't need for you. Plot never helped anything. I don't think yeah. in improv certainly to yeah. add plot. Yeah. What helps for me is to go. Are you aware of what it is that you're doing in this moment right now? Yeah. What emotionally are you doing in this moment? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. It's crazy. What I, I know I said I'm not going to talk about. Oh, you know what I do want to talk about? 
Um, I worked in prisons for a year doing when I was 25. I worked in a, a, th- a geese theater company for prisons, um, and we traveled around the world. Uh, I'm sorry, around the country, to uh, to different joints, and we did non comedic, um, non comedic improv, mask work, uh, comedic artist stuff in that way. Um, my first gig was at Joliet Correctional Center, and we went to Rikers Island, and we went to Bordentown, we went to all over the uh, Jewy joints and women's joints and things like that. And it great it changed me. It changed me. You know, growing up in Chicago, and at that time, this was uh, uh, this is right before like Steppenwolf blew up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right before all the storefront theaters and all those theaters that we 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 love so much. Um, it was before that, and I felt like it changed the way that I looked at the world. It changed the way that I connected to people. It changed the way that I opened myself up to those things that were coming at me. At what work are you does that resonate with what yeah. you're doing yeah actually the, the um, class I just described to you that I teach with um, with uh, my teaching partner Tarvis Watson um, who Tarvis wherever you are uh, he sort of disappeared I think he went to France and he's like really into being in France and I can't find him <laughs> and occasionally he'll send me a text and I'll be like are you in France are you drunk right now um, anyway um, what I was yeah the connection with prison is that I was talking yeah so the improv for we call it imp- improvisation for film and TV and it's um, a class that we started teaching at UCB we've done a difference we've mainly done it at UCB we've done it at a couple of our own just rent you know just uh, running our own classes and we've recently done a couple of sessions at the pack theater yes. miles Stroth yeah. place yeah so um, anyway when we very first I guess this was 10 years ago almost when we very first set foot on that stage at UCB and, and taught the class I had an idea of how the class was going to go but the sometime in the week prior I had gone into my first session in prison and observed because I work with the actors gang um, it's called the, the actors gang prison project so I was sort of peripherally working with the actors gang I had just directed a show there and um, a few years earlier and I decided to just I couldn't resist. I was like, I'm going to go. I had the opportunity to go observe this prison project. And my mind was blown so much that it literally changed the course of my, what I, you know, what I've been teaching in that class. For I wasn't planning on teaching something that was based in Commedia dell'arte. That was not my plan. And when I say based in Commedia dell'arte, I don't mean mask work and I don't mean the style, specific movement style. I just mean the, the, the particular style that Tim Robbins has been doing with his company based on this this work with this um, uh, a, a French theater artist um, whose name I'll think of in a minute. Anyway, he was in, he, so Tim has really been doing this work and developing his own version of it for for probably like the last 25 years with the actors gang. And then when they go into prisons, they're, they're using the basis of this work and the four emotional state. They're using the whole ball of wax with Commedia dell'arte. But I think the most important part of it is these four, four emotional states. So I wasn't really planning on borrowing 
that specifically, even though I had been, I'd done a bunch of that work um, and directed shows in the style and it worked with Tim and it worked with the offshoot of the Actors Gang, the New Criminals right. in Chicago, right. which was my brother and, and John Cusack and D.V. DeVincentis and Steve Pink and um, Adele Robbins. Um, anyway. Just that, that, that whole, the New Criminals thing, like going, uh, that was... I, I love that group. I loved... I love that you know, that you saw their stuff, but yeah. Was, like, at that, you know, at that time, that was the most exciting thing going on. Super exciting. Super exciting yeah. to be in Chicago at that time. Yeah. Super exciting to be part of all these things because nobody was doing that sort of stuff before. No, it was, like, really crazy gonzo rock and roll theater. It was it, the best, one of my well, the favorite organic things. Was, the organic theater and the work that they did over there. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? yeah. You mean? I mean, I'm just saying. What are they doing? I'm watching their shows. Going, yeah. I don't know what this like. Like this is phenomenal. Like yeah. the, the space that they had and how they were gorilla within that space. Yeah. And the set was amazing and their physicality was amazing. Yeah. As opposed to oh, you know, Equus came in and we're going to go see it at the you know the, the, the downtown the Schubert. And we're going to see some, a super realistic set. Exactly. And we're going to see it, all of the blocking right. that the director has directed them. I remember to do. going to the Goodman and seeing Moby Dick and going, yeah. what's happening here? Like they use the entire Entire theater there, like yeah. they had netting and they had. Wait, who directed Moby Dick? I can't was that, that was, was, that, was that Looking Glass? Was that Frank Galati? No, it was, it was. It was. It was in their old space when they were uh, over at the Art oh, Institute. Yeah. You know, it was like over there, and to watch all that shit yeah. go down over there, Relic Theater, and and like all those all those theater companies, and for all of us who are young and hungry to look at all that stuff, you gotta be inspired by that stuff. You gotta yeah. go. I want to be part of that. Yeah, well, New Criminals was bringing sort of like, I mean, I, I really credit Tim with doing, Tim Robbins with kind of bringing this, it's amazing how long it survived, like bringing this, you know, 15th, 16th century French, Italian theater form to like contemporary uh, LA and Chicago theater worlds. Right. Um, basically, um, you know, these troops used to travel around and they would play these stock characters and they would have these footlights that would shine into their faces and they had huge crowds so they would have to kind of create this size and scope to their characters. And um, so the work that Tim has been doing with his company and that we've been then taking into prisons is really um it's really very it's a really a very wonderful and strange discipline but what it does where i feel like we're going all over the place that's but okay we, but what it does for inmates is and i've watched it over and over and it's it's really quite spectacular is it 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 gives them a bunch of things it gives them a framework within which to be creative but so what? Like, okay, creative, schmative, what does that mean? It It's something that I think is un, hmm, kind of an undiscovered superpower that we, that's sort of a dumb way of saying it, but it's, it's, it's a profound part of our humanity that we get, that gets neglected. What is? Because the, our creative selves. Got it. And so the, in Commedia dell'Art, they give this, in, it's creative, but it's creative within this incredible structure and discipline. 
and it demands that that these men and women in prison get in touch with their emotional lives and in prison what we learned and what of course is logical that we would expect is that in prison people shut down emotionally in order to survive and even guys who are in who who are doing life sentences have said unprompted we thought or i thought that the best that the only thing to do was to shut down emotionally that i thought i only the only way to survive around here was to cut off myself from my emotions and then when i did this particular work and i don't want to glorify it but this is honestly what these people say over and over when i did this work i found that i could get in touch with my emotions that my emotions weren't going to eat me alive in a sense that they say you know in one prison that could be you know 100 miles away from another prison they've never met each other and they say the same thing i took I took off my mask that I wore in prison and I put on the commedia mask and I was able to find, I was able to, well, that's what they say. They say I took off my mask, meaning the mask I walk around with to like intimidate dudes or other women, if it's a women's prison, day in and day out. I took off that mask and I put on the commedia mask, whether it's paint, you know, painting the face with white face and makeup or whether it's putting on the the specially made commedia leather del art leather mask that when they put that mask on they were free to be who they were right the fruit i'm free to be who i am and it seems to really be this kind of astounding therapeutic tool and um i'm always every time i go into prison i remember i wrote an email to a bunch of the other teachers who go in at actors gang and i said um, I said, you know, sometimes going in to these institutions, you know, sometimes when we go in, it's the most spiritual place in my life. And Tim responded back. He often is on these email chains, doesn't respond back. He's, he said, he said, I totally, I know what you mean. I, re- I totally agree with you. We can't say this, but it's true. Right. And it was interesting, the idea we can't say, like, we're not going around saying, like, this is spiritual work. But that gets back to my idea of sort of this untapped superpower of creativity. Is it, it really, it's really healing to these, to these people in prison. It's really, uh, we did mask work too. And we did paper, uh, paper mache, however you want to say it, mask. And when we were in a situation when we were in a scenario in a particular situation where we had to be honest, we would take the mask off, mm. and because everybody's in mask, we'd take the mask off and we would go to, we would ask the incarcerated, we'd ask those guys, mm. what would you do here? Mm. And it gave them an opportunity to see choices in their life that they didn't have to do. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, totally that the idea of choices particularly when you're going there because you go, my, my choices are limited and everything that you're saying is like, it's a limit, it's limited, it's limited, it's limited. It's like, yes, it's not limited. And the major part of what we did there, because we did a show that was about visits, was if, if you start to shut down the outside world, 
you are going to, that's your lifeline. The connection that you have to the outside world is your lifeline. The people that you have out there is your lifeline. To remember that this is not just who it is that you are. The institutionalization that happens, not just because, not just for the incarcerated, but for any of the, the people that, the guards that work, or the, the one of the mm -hmm. correctional officers that work yeah. there. Like all those people that work there are going, are, 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 have shut down. And the freedom that comes from when you're given permission to be creative in that way and I think that that's... Yeah, that they've shut down and then you're given permission to find a part of yourself that we don't really value as a society. I hate to get super global, but we don't value... We really don't value it. And Creativity. It, yes. Yes. And it's not just frivolous. There's nothing really frivolous about it. I think it's essential to who we are as people. And yeah, this all came from... I wasn't planning on talking about the whole prison stuff, but it's always very... It's, it's really profound stuff and... And it also influenced the way that I ended up teaching improv, improv for film and TV, which is very, like, it really literally changed the trajectory of that class that we've now been teaching for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, there are other components of the class or other things we teach, but at the center of, a, center of it is the four emotional states that come from, that we, I always say we borrowed it from Commedia dell'Art. And because I've had, you know, the, the, I've been lucky enough to to be you know have had exposure to all kinds of different theater traditions. I realize I kind of afford to be like loose with all of them. Like I'm not an expert on the history. Like yeah, Commedia dell'arte is an is is an Italian form, not a French and Italian form. But the guy Tim studied with is a happens to be a French guy, but it originated in Italy. But if you were to ask me all the history, you know, I'm not interested in like the absolute being an expert on commedia dell'art and i'm also not interested in though i may be an expert on uh the the style of theater games that my parents taught at their theater which came from viola spolin's work from paul sill's work and then was really created fresh by by through the piven theater workshop my parents and their teachers i don't I, I, I'll, I'm, I don't ever want to be doctrinaire about even that. I'm like, yeah, the principles work. I don't care if you play the game exactly right, as long as you know the principles and what you're going after. And that idea of, of yeah, I mean, truth is an overused word, but seeking, seeking that kernel of like getting rid of anything that gets in the way of that, what's covering up that kind of white hot truth underneath right Great. whether it's comic or comic tragic or anywhere in between totally and as a teacher to be able to look at our teacher as a director a, te a teacher or a director a writer to be able to look at somebody and go oh i i see the blanket that you don't need and let's see if we can get rid of that yeah Great. Let's stop there. That was phenomenal. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was really great. Thank you. Our creative self is an undiscovered superpower that is a profound part of our humanity that gets neglected. I could not agree more, Shira Piven. Thank you for coming by and pod chatting. And here are the announcements of my improv comings and goings. March 30th through April 1st, I'll be at COAL in Orlando. April 7th and 8th, I'll be teaching workshops at the Florida Studio Theater. April 20th through the 22nd, I'll I'll be in Seattle teaching the Bloom Workshop and, as always, iActing, my online acting class. If you live somewhere, chances are I'll be teaching there. All workshop information at davidrozowski.com. ADD Comedy with Dave Rozowski is produced by Laura Parker and me. Send questions and comments to dave at addcomedy.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>